Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuller, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hi, I'm Benno, uh, today with Sharon Rowe, owner and founder of EcoBags, the original reusable bag company founded 30, 32 years ago, right, Sharon? Yeah, they're about 30, 31. Who knows? <laughs> the years roll by. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, three decades ago, uh, before sustainability was sort of cool and certainly not as urgent as today. You're also the author of The Magic of Tiny Business, and you've been profiled in Time Magazine as an environmental pioneer and a force for change. You received Entrepreneur Awards. I could go on and on, but uh, welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, Jaren. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. I just want to have a conversation around, you came actually up with a title for this podcast, Growth for Good, which I thought was great. And conscious capitalism and all kinds of things. But just let, let's start, you know, give us a quick flyover of EcoBags. Oh, okay. Well, we started, like you said, three decades ago um, with the idea of cleaning up the planet one bag at a time. You know, that if you can create simple behavioral shifts with people, um, replacing single-use plastic bags uh, with reusable cloth bags, there may be an influence in how people approach procuring their goods and bringing them home as, you know, not wasting anything. We just saw single-use plastic bags as sort of the symbol of ultimate waste, you know, how much goes into taking oil out of the ground and then turning that into a product that you simply use one time didn't make any sense, right? And so much of the world's economy revolves, revolves around that. And even 30 years ago, we were seeing signs of the polluting aspects of those single-use plastic bags, as well as the cost of cleaning them up. So there were double hits on the environment and on um, the economy. And that was coupled with the idea of, oh, I need, I need a job. <laughs> I need, <laughs> right. I need, I need the a The mother of invention, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to make a living. And I decided to start a business with this core mission, you know, for twofold. I wanted to create a living. I wanted to create a good living for myself. But I also wanted to solve what I saw was a necessary and urgent uh, need. And so fast forward, you know, three decades, um, I guess now we're at the point where single-use plastic bags are seen as the evil that they are. But we're waiting for that to translate to all other single-use plastics and or for something to come up in the way of replacing them because clearly you can't just go home with mozzarella cheese in your hands or a fish or you know you can't carry everything solo and there you have to understand that there's a whole chain of events involved in you know in food arriving on your table and clothing on your on your back and whatnot so it was meant to be a conversation starter a concept you know sprinter a spark and it took a long time to take off. And when, then when it took off, it was like Zoom. And so we find ourselves here today still grappling with the same issues, but even on a larger scale, but with many more people adopting and actually many more municipalities and even countries adopting the idea of we need to move towards wasting less. 
or less is more, as I, I like to say. You know, let's let's create durable as opposed to replace uh, reuse, non-reusable. So you founded the business three decades ago and have been running it and, you know, sustained it and um, grown it. And then you also wrote a book, The Magic of Tiny Business, which I'm I'm imagining, I, I have not read it, but, uh, you know, I'm imagining it. It's, it's a little bit about do good and do well and or do well by doing good and have your cake, have your cake and eat it too. What, what compelled you to, to write that book and share that story? Uh, requests from other people for me to do it because I can be uh, pretty lazy. <laughs> like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> Can't you just get it from watching me? But a friend of mine, a close friend of mine who owns a business that's many times the size of my business in terms of millions, many, 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 said, you need to write this because... Somehow, looking at me, she saw an achieved business success in terms of gross and net profit and a quality of life that she uh, wanted to see how I got where I was. And she also saw the attention I was getting for the impact I was making and where I was being positioned um, by others in terms of being a thought leader and someone, a go-to person for a how-to. And she saw that I created a business and managed the growth to not only be in alignment with what mattered most to me, but to also manage the growth to where I wanted it to be. Because, you know, in our business world, at least, with that lens on, there's such a push for just always scaling, right? Bigger is better, right? Bigger is better. And sometimes... Sometimes bigger better is better. Is, and sometimes so, better is better. And sometimes better is better, exactly. And, um, you know, and I was making mistakes all along the way because I wasn't a trained business person. You know, I came to this not naive, but not trained in any sort of formal way. That's why I wrote the book. I mean, it's, the, it's called The Magic of Tiny Business. You don't have to go big uh, to make a great living. And I like to add dot, 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 or a big impact because you can... I've always worked with the idea of um, influencer circles. And if you can tap one key person or point, it emanates out from their community, right? And this is before social media, you know, let others carry your message. That's an interesting point. I mean, because you, you, you said at the beginning, we wanted to clean up the planet one bag at a time, but now you're also talking about having impact sort of one person at a time or one you know, podcast at a time or article at a time or conversation at a time, right? Yeah. It's the power of one and the multiplier of one. I use an example. It's a video that's been on online forever. But, you know, one guy gets to, uh, gets up to dance at a concert and everybody looks at him and says, oh, that's God, right. he's yeah. weird. I saw that video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then someone gets up to dance with him and they're like, oh, that looks like fun. And the next thing you know, there's three people, four people, five people. So ideas sort of at first they look weird or uncomfortable or, you know, you know, just behavioral shifts take a while. But when they catch fire or catch on, I should say. I don't want to use fire right now because of all the fires here. Um, but they take off. And the environmental movement, activism, is, is grassroots at its, at its base, right? This is where things start. This is where the ideas are generated. And this is where the movement starts. And then it goes to the next level, the next level, the next level. But at any point in time, there's always the grassroots level still you know, bubbling up. And then I think along with the way to amplify the message, which 
the point of the magic of tiny business is that, or one of the points is that it doesn't have to be millions and billions of revenue to amplify the message through lots and lots of lots of consumers. But I think another point that, you know, when, when I think of a tiny business, which is kind of a lovely term, there's also a derogatory term, right, that, that business types use. Well, then that's just a lifestyle business. And that's not what I'm hearing you talk about. I'm hearing you talk about things like cleaning up the planet and sustainability and conscious capitalism. How do you think about, you know, all of those, like take conscious capitalism, what, what does that mean to you? You know, first of all, you're really perceptive because most people will look at tiny. And again, they just are so trained to think small business tiny, right? That That's just their mindset. In fact, I just was interviewed by somebody who said, oh, that's what it must be. And I was like, did you read the introduction? Right. <laughs> you don't have <laughs> to jacket. be, you know, you don't have to be a, a tiny revenue business. You know, you can, that's the thing that you're, you're managing and you're growing and you're, you're basically cultivating, right? Because it is all about conscious capitalism. And what does that mean? Okay, let's wrap our brains about around that. And that's working at a level where the decisions you're making, the approaches you're taking, the how-to is all connected to your why. You know, why are you in this business? Now, everybody goes into a business for different reasons, but a business needs some fundamental things, which is one is cash flow. I mean, you have to make cash. That's the the energy fuel. in the business. The fuel, right? right. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to stay away from fuel. I'm trying to always steer it towards environmental <laughs> <Okay>. stuff. <laughs> but you're right. It's the gas in your car or the, you know, the electric plug-in in your car. It's the energy. It's the driver. You well, need... even cave people cook things on a, yeah. on a fire, you need right? right. You, need, you need energy, right. You need right. captured energy, energy somehow to propel yourself uh, not only forward, but to answer to the larger questions you're trying to the problems you're trying to solve or questions you're trying to answer and actually not even trying that you are answering, you know, make it very active. So the idea of conscious capitalism is you're thinking about these things. Now, when I started just as a really easy example, again, three decades ago, which feels like a million years ago now after COVID, but anyway, I couldn't even get recycled paper, right? And that's back in the day when actually everything was paper. There was, this is all pre-internet and pre-cell phones and, Pre, pre, pre. So, you know, but I made it my my goal was to only use recycled stock. Now, fast forward to today, that's everywhere. You don't even need it. In fact, most people don't even use paper. <laughs> so the other thing is how do you build your business in the most conscious way possible using the resources that are available that allow you to not only move forward on your mission addressing what matters and keeping in focus the need to generate more energy and keep your cash flow positive because you have to you know if you go too far to the extreme where you'll where you're too orthodox about it you may lose some opportunities for profit which would and it will take you longer to get to your ultimate goal so it, you have to navigate your choices and that's what being conscious about them means and um, just one other example would be you know basically the promotional industry, okay? Diving for the, the least expensive. Well, sometimes the least expensive thing is not the most sustainable thing. It's just a thing. It's just stop, something that's going to wind up in someone's hand for a moment to carry a message and then go out in the garbage. 
nobody's thinking about, and I would say, you know, if you're being conscious about it, you would think about who made it, where was it made, what's it made of, you know, and all that. It's kind of, yeah, the whole chain. It's like putting a seed in the ground. Are you going to put your seed in, in polluted soil? No, right? You're going to nurture that soil so the seed can grow and become tall and then hopefully give you tomatoes, although we've had way too much rain. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's what I'm saying is it's like really keeping your why in focus so that your how lines up with it every step aligned, of the way. Yeah, aligned with aligned. it. But, but it doesn't block your potential. So that's a very that's a delicate dance. It is a balancing act and a, and and a dance between short-term profit and long-term sustainability. But it doesn't have to be. It really does not have to be now. It maybe had to be before. Now I find that a lot of those challenges could be met if someone's willing to just adjust quicker. But what, I've, what I'm seeing, at least with larger organizations, is they still are making profit in those things that are less sustainable or unsustainable. So they're not moving towards the more sustainable choices until they can see that profit equal to or better, even though they have the margin to do it sooner. Kind of like how, you know, electric cars have been around for a long time, but why has the adoption been so slow? You know, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of play in there. Now with smaller business, you have different factors to work with, obviously, because you have owners and you have smaller teams and you have, you know, people who need to, you know, pay their mortgages and put food on the table and do, you know, real life things. So there's all those considerations as well. So you use the term zero waste. You're a lifelong zero waste advocate, and one of your core values, or eco and eco bags core values, is leave no trace. What were some hard decisions that you took to live up to that value? Oh my God, there's so many. One I'll say, which we're still struggling with, is the fact that because we bring goods in from our partner overseas in India and have worked with them for 26 years. And we've been waiting for a better option to bring our goods in. And because we have to be careful of moisture, because we have cloth products, you know, uh, bags, we still use poly bags. But we have been gradually moving over little by little every year with different options in terms of compostable bags. And, you know, there's a whole conversation out there on whether that's the better choice or cello bags or what we've found works is we've changed our packing so that instead of 10 per poly, and this is like the opposite of any of these, you know, really big distributors or, or Amazon, we've gone towards 20, 30, 50 per pack, you know, but then we're measuring the size of the pack because if you're using a poly bag for 10, what's the size, you know, the dimensions on that versus for 100? And do we need a pack at all? So those are the things we've struggled with mostly because our goods themselves We've been working with organic cotton since, oh my God, probably for 25 plus years. And we've been working with uh, post-industrial recycled for about 20 years. And then we've been phasing out conventional cotton just because it's not traceable. And some of the things we're doing now, we didn't do then because the information wasn't even available. And the supply base wasn't available, wasn't made. So we were, yeah, we weren't even aware of it, you know, so as we became, as we become aware of things, we implement them. But, but another very simple thing we've done 
which we actually never had to change is we've, we always had hang tags that were recycled paper or cardboard. Um, but when we realized in order to sell our products in a lot of other stores, because we do a lot of uh, wholesale and B2B business, we needed packaging. We made sure that our packaging was 100% recycled cardboard with, um, with you know, environmentally friendly inks and no attack, no uh, closures, no tapes, you know, all the things. I, actually, I think we might use a bio tape, but no snaps, little plastic gizmos, you know, all those little things that just go by people's thought. That we don't even think about. You don't even think about it. In fact, I save them. I mean, I'm sort of crazy, but I save them. And more recently, a friend of ours who's making a a dress out of all this waste materials, I gave them all to her, so I can't even show you. But, you know, the little twist ties on bread and stuff like that. Yeah, we, we just moved away from all of that from the very beginning. And it would have been easier to do that, see? So that's the conscious piece, too, again. It's easier to go with the flow with what's readily available and what most people are doing. When you shift to a die cut and a shape and an approach that's different, it generally costs a little bit more to start, but the cost is more in the imagining and the engineering. So it's the R&D. And then you move forward to now, and now it's done all the time. But then it was like, you what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. You're familiar with the company Tom's Shoes, right? Sure. So, you know, when I, I, I don't know that much about the company, but, you know, they they sort of came on the scene, I don't know, 10 years ago-ish. The deal was you, you buy a pair of Tom's Shoes and they give away a pair of Tom's Shoes to people in need elsewhere, uh, whether that's inside the U.S. or in other countries. And they had, you know, pretty phenomenal success. I mean, they went up into that 200 300 million dollar revenue annual revenue range and ran into financial difficulties i don't know if they're still around or not um did, do you know if they're still around i don't know if they're still around but i do have two pairs of their espadrilles upstairs that i got at dsw pre-covid when i thought i was going to go to italy and i, I there you go, go. <laughs> uh, um, i don't know if they're still around I, I i they probably are i mean we could just google them but um yeah, they were an interesting model. I mean, I think the better, I mean, I, there's a lot of things to say about what they did in terms of, you know, free shoes all over the world, because I, I question that. But you've got also Allbirds uh, now that's doing just a phenomenal job of doing a really sustainable product, bringing it to market in a sustainable way. Um, Allbirds, you said, right? Allbirds, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, they're great. The reason I'm bringing up Tom's shoes is because to the extent that there's some similarity in terms of conscious capitalism, maybe sustainability, because there's not a lot of plastic in Tom's shoes, I see that as a company that grew a lot, you know, into you know three hundred million dollar revenue range, but then hit a brick wall. It seems like because I I I I know they grazed bankruptcy. You know, we'll we'll Google afterwards. You know whether they came out of it or not, but I think the difference between Tom's shoes and eco bags is that I don't even think you had the ambition to go into, you know, a hundred million dollar range. I, I think you were just always happy at keeping it sort of family sized, <laughs> individual sized. Is that right? Right. There's a few aspects to that. One was I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So when I started to learn about venture capital and financing and all that sort of thing, that was probably 15 to 20 years in already. 
that wasn't part of my world, right? I didn't come from the business world, the finance world. I was an actor before this. So that was that. And the stories I heard about venture and actually women owned businesses in venture and women owned businesses in retail and venture. So it was like, "Mm, do I really want to go down that road? And I didn't have that ambition. And I really did have a sense that what keeps us woven together as communities, you know, a lot of the threads, if you were, you know, well, pulling from my, my cloth-based, my fiber-based business is, um, is smaller, smaller sized businesses, more approachable sized businesses, Main Street, if you will, what, regardless of whether you have a shop on Main Street or not. So, you know, in that respect, tiny isn't about the size of the business, but my business is smaller. You know, we're just a couple million dollars. We're not, I never had ambition to grow it like that. I didn't, I actually didn't even know how to. And by the time I realized that might be an option, I was like, I didn't really want to work that hard, you know, and didn't know how to assemble that team. So some of it was that. And also the profit I was generating for the business and and compensation for myself was, was good. So, and that's a question I ask people when they say, you know, will you mentor me? And I say, I talk to them to get a profile of what is enough for them. Are they doing this? You know, where's their financial need in relationship to the business? And what is their impact need and desire and that sort of thing? Because it's personal for everybody. That's right. And, you know, I, I, you know, in my day job, when I'm not podcasting, I, I, I work with CEOs of mid-sized businesses, which, you know, are like $10 million, $100 million revenue, and, and sometimes bigger. And I always ask them, you know, why do you want to grow? Is it just because bigger is better? Or do you want to grow because you want to create wealth for, for your family, for, your, for the next generation? Do you want to grow because you want to grow better instead of bigger, right? I, I think that is so important to know why are you in business? Why do you want to grow? How do you, you know, what, what does growth mean to you? And, and, and the answer I'm getting from you is, you know, I, I, I want to grow for good. I want to grow to have, you know, to leave the planet a better place, to talk, you know, or, or to have a platform maybe to talk with people about how to do good for the environment and for saying the hell with plastic bags, Again, you're very perceptive and we're right in, we're in alignment on what we're talking about. I mean, that's exactly it. You have to decide that. Now, there does come a point where you say, oh, maybe I'm thinking of exiting or what's going to happen next? What's the succession plan? And that's when you have to maybe go into another mode because if someone wants to, if you want to hand this over to somebody, you know, or sell it, they have to be in alignment with that or they have to be ready to pick it up where it is and grow it further. So it's an interesting thing because you have to be in a position to scale, but it doesn't mean you have to scale. You just have to want to create the choice. Yeah, because if your systems are created so that you're scalable, then there's options. Someone can come in and just keep it going, you know, as like I say, a pizza shop, or someone can come in and make it a pizza chain or find multiple other opportunities with all the different pieces of the business that are, you know, stitched together. And that's, I mean, you know, th- th- this is what I love about business is that it gives so many of us opportunities to paint different pictures on the canvas. You know, we can use a small canvas, canvas or a big one or, you know, use oil or watercolor, but we can all do different things with it. And, and, and I love the fact that you've built, you know, a tiny business 
there are lots of businesses much smaller than yours that think, you know, hey, she has a couple of million dollar business. That's a big business. But you've, you've, you've done it for three decades and made a nice living for your family and other families and had an impact, positive impact, I think, on the world. And again, that's that's specific to my situation because I am married and have been married um, for you know thirty four years, and my spouse is a teacher. So we always it, it was a day. It's you know it's it's the two of us. Some, not everybody has it. Some people are on their own, um, but those were our choices. That was my you know, and even that it had its ups and downs. You know, uh, there's always ups and downs. But like you're saying, there are so many different ways to approach a business and. In the world we're living in now, the high-tech one, fintech, high-tech, whatever, gets the most press. It looks the sexiest. So everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to be a blah, 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 million-dollar business. Well, you know, if somebody opens up a bakery on Main Street, they're not thinking that. They're thinking, how do I show up for work every day, create a great product, you know, be part of my community, and generate a good income for my family? And there's more of those, Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) But they don't get nobody sits there and profiles all the small, you know, small and tiny businesses out there. What I love about this podcast, uh, where I get to talk to business uh, leaders, sometimes they're owners, sometimes they're executives, sometimes they're leaders from outside the business world, just talking about all these different perspectives on growth and you know how they define growth and why growth is important to them and and how how it happens and 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 I think your growth story is worth emulating because you have stayed true to that goal of you know cleaning up the planet one bag at a time which is you know which is such a lovely sort of mission or vision statement because it's so damn simple but not easy to do, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very simple, but it's very complicated. I mean, there's, I shouldn't say it's complicated. There's a lot of moving pieces. But as my, um, I have a you know chief operating officer, as he would say, we're the same as you know Time Inc. That's what back when you know Time was Time, because we have all the same pieces. We're just at a different scale, and we don't have whole departments. We have parts of people committed to that. Sharon, if one of the listeners would want to reach you and just kind of talk with you one-on-one about, you know, your business or, or their business or, or maybe doing something together, what, whatever it is, how might they reach you or find you? Oh, well, I'm pretty findable. Um, the website is ecobags, E-C-O-B-A-G-S dot com. I'm Sharon at ecobags dot com. And or you can find me also at SharonRowe.com. And I'm on LinkedIn, Sharon Rowe. You know, I'm pretty visible. And then the book, um, Magic of Tiny Business, is available, of course, on Amazon and Bookshop. And so wherever fine books are sold. There you (laughs) You go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, totally findable. And actually, there's a great video someone just did of me on the SharonRowe.com website. So that tells the whole story um, in terms of focus and vision. And then the business pieces come out when I do interviews like this. So I thank you for that. Terrific. Thank you so much, Sharon. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. If uh, folks wanted to explore other growth topics, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thank you and keep growing.
You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.